Hey, what's going on? Thanks for tuning in to the Ewang Bang podcast, everyday commentary by everyday people. I'm your host, Emil Wang, and I'm very excited to present the inaugural Warrior Wang Bang Wednesday, where it will finally be an episode where I don't review movies and discuss comic book origins. Finally, an episode where I get to talk about the love of my life, chess boxing. No, I'm here to talk about the Golden State Warriors. Now, before I begin my preview of the NBA Finals, I would like to take a moment of personal reflection as a Warrior fan. I don't need to rehash how the Warriors rose to a perennial NBA power. The championship ring, the heartbreak of Game 7, the signing of Kevin Durant, and now the Warriors' third straight return to the NBA Finals really speaks for itself. What I do want to remind fans of is that it wasn't always like this, and it definitely won't always be like this. So do your best to appreciate it. The loss in Game 7 of the 2016 Finals was a heartbreak for sure, but we also shook it off and knew we would be back in the NBA Finals the next year. Compare that to between 1994 and 2012, when the team had only made the playoffs one season, and there were plenty of trades and losses over the years that took us out of NBA relevancy and set us back several steps. Think Gilbert Arenas leaving, the Jay Rich trade, etc., Knowing that you're always going to be three, four years away from even becoming relevant is one of the toughest things to experience as a fan. So here's to the years of listening to Tim Roy, Jim Barnett, and Bob Fitzgerald covering the likes of Bob Sura, Cliff Robinson, Corey Maggette, Danny Fortson, Chris Hunter, Tony Farmer, Dwayne Farrell, Sam Mack, Kalan Azabuki, Mikel Beatrice, and many, many more Warrior names that will eventually fade into obscurity because the Warriors were just so shitty for so long. And as we transition to my coverage of the NBA Finals, I'll leave you with this one last gem. Hey, Wang Bangers. I want to welcome you all to a very special NBA Finals preview episode where I'll be talking NBA Finals storylines, specific matchups, and strategies. And finally, predictions on the series outcome. This is your host, Emil Wang, a.k.a. the former backup of point guard of the Golden State Warriors. I am joined by a new guest today, the very knowledgeable, the very passionate, the man who needs no introduction, the Genio James Liao. How's it going, man? What's up, dude? Well, with the NBA Finals just two days away, uh, a lot to talk about. You excited for the third round of this uh, NBA Finals trilogy? Uh, very excited. Uh, the uh, trilogy, uh, hopefully not the last we'll see of these two teams, but um, I think this is going to be good. You know, one-to-one -one in the last two years, so hopefully this settles the score for uh, for everyone. Yeah, the first time in NBA history where we've had two teams meet three times straight in the NBA Finals, so yeah, definitely it's, remarkable. I mean, it's, really, it's, it's actually pretty crazy if you think about it, because you know, as just three consecutive years of the same teams, because even as, you know, dominant as some of the teams were in the 90s and, and even in the 80s, like, that's crazy that Lakers and Celtics were just never in three consecutive finals. Like, even though one of them won it, like, basically nine or eight years out of ten in the 80s, but they never met three years in a row. 
Right, right. And to, and to think that, you know, for a season that's as long as it is, risk of potential injuries that could occur or, you know, even the luck of the draw on who you play in the playoffs. I mean, it's pretty remarkable that both of these teams have been able to make it to the NBA Finals three straight years. Not too many challenges this year. I mean, 12-0 and 0 and 12-1. and 1. Right, right. Both uh, the Warriors coming in on 12-0 and 0 and uh, the the Cavaliers coming in on a 12 and one record in the playoffs. And that kind of ties into some of the storylines of the play of this NBA finals. We've already mentioned how this is the third time coming in Cavaliers won last year in a game seven heartbreaker for the Warriors. Warriors won the year before that in six games. I mean, there's a lot of excitement in this, in this series. I, I think one of the, the highlights would be that both teams are finally healthy. Yeah, both teams are, and the main thing is coming in hot, you know. Uh, I think both teams are playing very well, healthy, and uh, I think this is ideal for kind of trilogy scenario, where the third time you have kind of the best versions of each one of the teams. Right, everybody's healthy, everybody's rested. And one other thing to note is actually the NBA Finals seems to be spread out across a lot more days than it used to be. I, I feel like... There's a two-day break between each game, except for between games three and four, I think, which, uh, looking back, I don't remember it being that spread out apart. So I, I don't know if it was a decision for the league to, you know, to provide a better product where you have games that your star players are playing, you know, your 38 to 42 minutes a game and not worrying about rest. I mean, all that stuff is just tying back to the NBA trying to stretch out the season. I mean, that's always been, a, the last couple of years, that's been a huge thing. So I don't doubt that, that they took that into account. But, I mean, who knows? But I, I, I honestly don't remember it being that way either. But, I mean, but it definitely helps. Like you were saying, it gives us 38 to 42 minutes per night of all the starters. And that's probably going to be what it takes to, to win. And on top of the Warriors coming in hot at 12-0, and another storyline that we do have to talk about is will the Warriors redeem after their epic meltdown from last year? I know the Warriors are, you know, have been focusing on this since they essentially lost Game 7 of the NBA Finals in 2016 inside Kevin Durant. I mean, essentially, it was championship or bust, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think KD's going to be thinking about that, too. And the rest of the team is... Uh, I think carrying that all year and wanting to come back hard. But I think from Cleveland's standpoint, too, they are going to be thinking that they can beat this team. If they're going to be put in an adverse uh, situation again, possibly down 3-0 or hopefully not another 3-1 scenario, but if even if they were down, they, you know these guys probably got to be thinking that they can come back. So um, I think for the Warriors, they just they have to be mentally ready for all of that and they have to think that you know hey adding kd that we can beat this team and we're gonna go ahead and redeem and won what we should have won last year right and one thing i gotta say is you know the the win in january which was the the second time we played the Cavs this season was yeah, so critical game. yeah that was that was so critical because had we not won that game we would have entered the nba finals having lost to the Cavaliers five straight times. So uh, it, it's good that we were able to take that win, take that win at home in a very, very convincing fashion. But that by no means 
means that this is going to be a cakewalk in the NBA Finals. I know a lot of experts have the the Warriors basically winning in five or six, but you know, I don't. I, whether it ends up being that way, I don't think it's going to be an easy you know five or six games. I think all these games are going to be really close. I'm not. I'm not expecting a blowout for any of these games. Yeah, I um, I agree with that. The last storyline I wanted to touch on was the Mike Brown coaching situation. Now, the Warriors signed Mike Brown at the beginning of this season to be that lead assistant coach. And the, the guy comes in with a lot of experience. We all know that he's he coached a young LeBron. He actually coached Kyrie during his second run with the Cavaliers. And he also had the debacle in Los Angeles. So the dude comes in with actually a pretty decorated uh, coaching resume. Well, I wouldn't say decorated, but um, – <laughs> um, He's been on some good teams, and he, you know, learned under Pop. So I mean, he's definitely, you know, somebody that has experience. But I mean, I don't know about the pedigree. I mean, he had some, you know, he had some young players, some young LeBron, young Kai, and a absolutely horrific Lakers team. But regardless, it's, you know, I think Mike Brown being able to face the old team is pretty interesting. You know, I think the coaching is not going to matter that much. You know, only if the series, if you think the series is going to go uh, six or seven until the very end, you know, because I just don't think if if we start hitting our shots and things are, are falling and we're playing D, then the coaching is probably not going to matter too much, like a lot of the in-game decisions, you know. So, you know, having Mike Brown or having Luke or whoever it is, it's I just don't think it'll make a huge difference. Now, the only time it, it is is if uh, things aren't going well and we have to make in-game adjustments and we have to you know, start watching people's minutes, uh, things like that. That's where not having Steve Kerr on the sidelines uh, might potentially, you know, cause a problem. So, Right. And unfortunately, Mike Brown doesn't have a LeBron James to give the ball to to, to create an offense anymore because he basically rode that train all the way to his Coach of the Year award back in you know, 2007 or whatever it was. Coach of the Year. Oh, my God. That was yeah. – yeah. That, That's what I'm saying. He, he, he is a – He's a talented coach. He hasn't been given the best pieces. And, look, he made the best of, of what he had. He had LeBron James and a bunch of shitty other players like Larry Hughes, Eric Snow, Booby Gibson, How Big Z. How yeah. dare you sully the good name of Larry Hughes, ex-warrior? <laughs> Why would you? That's... <laughs> Real class act, that Larry Hughes. Uh, so let's talk about the Cavaliers roster. I mean – They are coming into the NBA Finals with several core pieces from last year and an additional bench presence in Deron Williams and and, uh, Kyle Korver. So out of all of that, out of all the changes, first of all, what do you think is the most – the the biggest change that we should be concerned with? I think the the biggest change is is going to be if those guys can basically make shots, you know, because – they had their their bench wasn't as deep last year in terms right. of being able to play them. Now the other question that arises when you play guys like Kyle Korver and guys like Williams and even Channing Frye, and and they could barely play Frye last year because he just couldn't defend anybody. And that's the problem with Kyle, and that's the problem with you know Darren Williams. It's who who are they going to hide these guys from? I mean, they no longer have Marcus Smarts. They no longer have these guys that they can just park these poor defenders on anymore. 
Like, you really can't do that against anybody on the Warriors. And so it's just, it, it's going to be interesting to see how Ty Lue is going to utilize those guys. Because I think that the big three guys, and, and as well as Tristan Thompson, those guys are just going to be the same. I mean, LeBron's playing out of his mind. But, you know, you throw in Katie and Steph, Dre and Clay, and you can match up with their top four. Not a problem. So it's just a, a matter of what are you going to get out of the other, other guy. So talent-wise, from a top-four perspective, I mean, it's it's close. I mean, they're good. I mean, we, we have more talent, but they're good. But it's the rest of the guys. And it's like, can they play guys like Kyle Korver, who is, you know, and can they play guys like Channing Frye? Because that's what they need. They need This is how they were so good was they had all these three-point shooters everywhere. But if you can't play them due to their defense, then that takes away a lot of their weapons off the bench. Right, right. And, and I think this is the one of the series where you need two-way players at every single position or else the other team's going to take advantage of your, your gaping holes on. Well, especially us, like especially the Warriors. I mean, this is a team that's going to feast off of any one of the mismatches. So you have Kyle Korver on the court. I mean, basically, we're going to put whoever is guarding Kyle Korver in a pick and roll every time. Right. You know, and then you you have KD or Steph uh, switched onto him, then it's just you just make him dance. There's he has no shot. So it's just one of those things. It's like, is that going to be exposed? Because that's what happened with Fry last year. They couldn't play him. He couldn't mm-hmm. defend the pick and roll. Right. And he couldn't defend anybody. Nobody to guard. And he's so easily negated by war- the Warriors' defense because he's like a stretch five and he can't really rebound or do anything else. So we have so many long wing players that we just switch onto him on the perimeter, and then he's done. He has no other game other than catch and shoot. Doesn't take it off the dribble, doesn't rebound. So it's like, and he doesn't defend. So it's like, what else can he do? You know, this is the problem with with some of these guys. Like that's why I feel like against Celtics and stuff like that, you can get away with it because you have you know Terry Rozier and all these guys that are just not productive offensive players. And you can just hide those guys on them. But, you know, against us, that's not going to happen. Yeah, but on the flip side of this, you know, the Warriors aren't exactly doing so great on the offensive end, in particular, Clay Thompson and Andre Iguodala. And that kind of brings into the point, well, you're right in the sense that Cleveland's offensive players may not be playable because of that their reliability on defense but if we have Clay Thompson, you know, shooting 35% from three and Andre Iguodala shooting like 10% from three, and these two players are not necessarily pick and roll players, I think that, you know, there is a bit of a space for those uh, for those bench players. And, and honestly, bad defensive Kyle Korver game, I think, would still be more effective than a bad offensive Andre Iguodala or Clay Thompson game. I, I shouldn't say it's more effective, but I think the shots that they make could swing the series a lot more than like the defense that Iggy and Clay would play on a night-to-night basis. Well, basically, if Clay gets back to his normal percentages, this could be a pretty short series. Right. Yeah. I agree. I mean, they just – so the problem also is they have J.R. and Shump to guard Steph and Clay. Mm-hmm. So that's that's going to be the – but the problem is, is, a, is, you know, another matchup scenario is – and you and I kind of talked about this earlier. Is who the hell is guarding Kevin Durant? This is like, right. How, 
I just don't see – I mean, you're going to put LeBron on him. It's just I don't see how that works. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, either LeBron or yeah, Schumpert. He's, he can't roam if he's going to be guarding Durant. And mm-hmm. who else are you going to put, Schump or JR? Like, he just shoots over those guys. Dude, Kevin Richard Love, Jefferson, man, I'm telling you, you're going to see a lot of our Jeff on Kevin Durant. Our <laughs> Jeff going to be not just going to be road tripping, dude. He's probably going to be tripping <laughs> over his feet guarding uh, – Kevin Durant, if they if they're gonna have him defend, that's 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 not a feasible solution. I, I you can't play extended Richard Jefferson minutes just to guard yeah. Kevin Durant. Yeah. They would get destroyed. Every you know, time. I, you know I, I and I was trying to think about this last year, or I was thinking about last year trying to remember this. I rem- remember Richard Jefferson being effective in the finals. What I don't remember is who was he guarding? Was he guarding Harrison Barnes or no, maybe Draymond? No, well, it depends on the lineups. But I think when there was no LeBron, then yes, he was guarding Harrison. But when LeBron was on the floor, I remember they were hiding him on Harrison a lot and letting him roam, basically, baiting him into shooting. Yeah, Harrison Barnes was so bad from the three last year that they they were basically playing four and five on the on offense. But yeah, I mean, it's just it it's completely different with KD because mm-hmm. he's not anything like Harrison at all. Right. Right. Catch and shoot off the dribble, you know, mm-hmm. get to the rim, just way more versatile. I mean, you're talking about, you know, one of the best scores in the NBA history mm-hmm. versus Harrison Vaughn, good player, but comparison I just don't think is very valid. And they, it, it requires real attention. As I just don't see where they're going to get the personnel to guard KD. Right. I just don't see it. Oh yeah, yeah. There definitely is no comparison between KD and Harrison Barnes, but and uh, people have talked about this before. But one of the one of the advantages of having KD that I feel like the Warriors never really had before was having that guy with the shot clock winding down. You know, just to pass him the ball and say, you know, make something happen. I mean, yeah, Steph, the stuff. right, right. And, and before Steph could kind of do it, but you almost knew what Steph would be doing and. And it kind of showed in Game 7 of last year where it was Kevin Love on Steph with a couple seconds left on a shot clock. Like, I think Kevin stayed out on him and, you know, d- didn't give yeah, any ground. I mean, like, Steph is kind of predictable I with, with that with that shot. Last year, like, it's completely different. Like, he was very hesitant. And I don't know if it's the injury, but, I mean, that did not look like the regular Steph. Like, you look at him now. Mm-hmm. And he is way more mobile. And even off the pick and roll, he's coming off the screen, looking to shoot or attacking the basket. Like turns the corner quick and just goes straight to the basket. That's not what we saw last year. But regardless, I mean, having you know one of the best isolation players in the game doesn't doesn't uh, hurt. You know, with game. Right. So that's yeah. going to be huge um, for for the team coming down the stretch. You know, especially if games get tight. And everyone, everyone turns into iso ball at the end. Yeah, which happens when teams get tired, and I, I would more or less expect it. So. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, if the game gets tired at the end, and this is going to happen, but you can just dump the ball into KD, and then if they want to switch everything, then we do a pick and roll and get a smaller guy on KD, and then get him into a 15 foot jump shot, and then I like our chances. Yeah, and speaking of isolation players, I, I I will say this: that despite the Warriors having better talent, I would say the Cavs have better isolation players. I think Le- 
I think Kyrie Irving is probably one of the scariest isolation players in the NBA. He's so crafty finishing. His handles are, you know, going left, going right. He's so quick. And he's got that pull up three that that was the backbreaker last year. I mean the guy has can score on all angles and if you if you don't plan to help help on him, you know, you're you're almost giving up layups, uh or three balls every play, I feel like. Yeah. Kai's very scary, but I mean I I personally don't I don't think I'm as scared of him, you know, going off. I like the way Clay plays him. Um, I think Clay knows how to play him. Regardless, I mean, Kai makes tough shots, and that's just the way it is. But I live with Clay's defense on him all day. Like even in in the Christmas Day game, you know, when it was really tight, and you know, Kyrie again made like some ridiculous shot or something at the end. Like I remember Clay was guarding him, and he was just all over him, and doesn't matter. Like for me, it's just like just take our chances. And Clay's as good as any guy you want guarding a guy like Kyrie. You know, so. So who 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 are you more scared of than Kyrie or LeBron? Oh, it's LeBron. Like, come on, that's not even. Mm. Like, I just don't think like Kyrie. I think Kyrie will. You know, I just don't think it's gonna be. Especially if we can put, we can do to Kyrie what they try to do to Steph last year. Also, if we're persistent, mm-hmm. you know, that's another strategy: is attack him on the pick and roll mm-hmm. every time. Right. Whoever he's guarding, just attack him. See, that's the that's what we had said last year, though, right? Like when we talked about you know you know Kyrie and Love in the NBA right, Finals, like pick and roll every they, play. They yeah. didn't do that. Yeah, I, I don't understand. But they did that to Steph. Like the Cavs mm-hmm. were very insistent on it. That was a point of emphasis. So mm-hmm. I don't know if they we're doing that this year, but I mean, you have to start finding holes and just start attacking it until they find a way to plug it because Kyrie just. You know, he's had a couple of decent defensive games later in the series, but for the most part, he's just not a good defender. He just dies on the screens. Like, even against some of the earlier games this year, it's like when I was watching, I'm just like, dude, you just screen him and he just, like, dies on the screen. Doesn't go anywhere. Then you got a free shot. So it's like, just put him, run him through a bunch of bodies all the time and then tire him out because that's what they did to Steph last year. Mm-hmm. I don't see why you could, couldn't do that. You can't really do that to LeBron. But a guy like Kai, you can totally beat him up. He's an undersized guard like Steph, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, the, what I think about LeBron is that you throw you throw one guy at him, you throw two guys at him. Like, he's still going to end up – at the at the level that he's playing, he's still going to end up with his 30-10-8 games. You know, I, I, you know, I think LeBron's going to get his. I think we just have to worry about the other guys not getting off. You know, lo- love, love also. But I, I think Love is kind of just more of a product of talent of LeBron and Kyrie, and less so him being that that dominant individual player that he was in Minnesota. That's interesting that you brought that because I think that's a, an interesting strategy potentially as well. Basically, do what I think it was the Spurs uh, back in the day, the death of the Suns, where they would just allow Amari to get like a ton of points mm-hmm. and. Just not let anybody else, not let Nash get anybody else involved. Right. Like, and that might be an interesting strategy where you're like, hey, look, LeBron wants to keep scoring and keep doing whatever and not letting other guys touch the ball. That's fine. Let's see if that is going to be their downfall where they just keep going to LeBron and he's going to wear out. And then nobody else is going to get any touches and nobody's going to get into an offensive flow. And then that's it. 
right? I mean, that's basically, you know, that's the only strategy that I can think of from like, you know, that the Spurs use that could potentially mm-hmm. come into play here as well. So yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah. Keep, you know, keep your shooters cold, you know, because that that's really when the Cavs start dominating is when they're hitting threes from all angles. Yeah, exactly. They start nailing threes, then it's like, it's going to be a long series. Yeah. And, and I will say this. I think the Cavs are a better three-point shooting team in the half half court set. I, I feel like the Warriors, you know, their three-point uh, prowess, if you will, comes from the break. So if, if you're able to kind of limit the amount of threes that they're able to hit in the half court set and you keep those shooters cold, then that, that may be the best strategy that the Warriors Yeah, but that comes forward. from focusing on LeBron, right? So you mm. don't want to over-focus on help, helping on LeBron because that's what mm. he finds open shooters. Right. You, know, you start right. going after him hard on doubles or doing all that stuff. He's finding the open shooter. But what if mm-hmm. you just played him straight up, mm-hmm. you know, don't double, and if he wants to score 50 points, then let him. But that means Kyrie's not getting touches, and that means Love's not getting touches. Right. And it's just like... We have way more weapons to score, and if they want to keep going to LeBron for 48 minutes, then I just want to see if he can he can last 48 minutes with all that heavy lifting on offense. Yeah, and we have a couple guys we can throw at LeBron individually. You know, we have Draymond, we got KD, we got we got uh, Iggy. I mean, we, you know, three very very talented defenders that can body him up and exactly. Yeah, yeah. so. We we have the depth to, to wear down LeBron in one on one, which is you know definitely works in our favor. Well, one one guy I did want to bring up is Tristan Thompson. You know, Tristan Thompson is a warrior killer, and even, even though the guy's only averaging ten and ten in the playoffs, you, you can bet that he's going to get his on against the Warriors. Especially since you know the 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 guy the big men we have aren't great rebounders. I, I you know Zaza is a bruiser. Uh, you know, but he's not great on the boards. You know, JaVale McGee's athletic, but I would say the same thing. He's not a smart rebounder. He's not a great position guy. He's more of a just jump up as high as he can and snatch it out of the yeah. snatch it out of yeah. the sky kind of guy. So Tristan Thompson is one of those guys that I'm I'm really worried about because he doesn't need the ball to rebound, right? I mean, he's like he brings it every night, and he you know that's his role on the team get offensive rebounds, pass it out for those back-breaking threes. I don't know if we, you know, if the Warriors should even try to double him or, you know, throw two guys at him to box him out on the off- on the defensive glass, or you just have one person box him out and you have the rest of the wings and guards stay out on the perimeter to guard those three-point shooters in case there is an offensive rebound. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, you know, I think, I think Thompson average – I think also around 10 rebounds a game, but, um, you know, the offensive rebounds were really the killer ones where he would, I think there was a couple games actually, we got like five or six offensive rebounds and that's where you right. know, he's going to, he's going to hurt us. So if we can limit that and hopefully Zaza and West can body him up a little bit. I mean, he's hard to contain, but I mean, that's about as much as he's going to give you throughout the series. The, you know, the law of averages will just, say that he's going to average about 10 boards a game with probably um, four offensive rebounds on average. So, yeah. And four offensive rebounds, you know, that, that, you know, dished back out for the open three. I mean, yeah, we got to minimize that. Yeah. If we can keep on to like two, that's ideal because he's going to get some regardless. Like if we can just save one to two off of what he hit, 
has. I mean, Kevin Love's a good offensive rebounder too, so they have a lot of different options. But Thompson is is just such a bruiser that you know if we can minimize that, that'll help our chances for sure. Just make sure it's a single possession. I mean, it's again gang rebound, no turnovers. You know, same old story with GSW hoops. You know. Right, right. Yeah, and I want to get into that. You know, the keys to the Warriors winning the series. Limit the turnovers. I mean, I still lose sleep off of that Steph Curry game seven behind the back pass that went out of bounds on the sideline. Like that is the one play that when I think about the NBA finals, I, it just yeah, kills it's me. It's just absolute it, bonehead. Uh, it, yeah. it, it's the play that I was like, we did not deserve to win. If our, if our best player is pulling shit like that in the most critical point of the game of the season, we yeah, and that, the funny mm-hmm. thing is, is he had no reason to do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely none, none not whatsoever. Was... He could have just made a regular pass. I, I, that, that's just one play that yeah. I lose sleep I mean, over. Turnovers so. is going to be huge. You know, mm-hmm. Cavs are going to be that's going to be key for them too because they want to keep us off the transition. Yeah, so right, and we want to get on the break. We want to create turnovers, so that's going to be a huge thing. We got to minimize it. Um, and we got to create them on on defense. Yeah, and otherwise, I mean, with the offensive talent that we have, if we continue playing the way that we do, if Clay can you know shoot just a little bit better, and Iguodala would stop shooting threes, I think this this series is in the bag. Is in the bag. I mean, what's your uh, prediction? Would, uh, <laughs> earlier, I I gave the the Ford bold move of Warriors and four. <laughs> And I say that because, listen, they want to redeem themselves from last year's the epic collapse. Team. And what better – the redeem team, exactly, like that yeah. Olympic team in, what, 2008 yeah, so or something? I forget. To redeem themselves for the epic collapse from last year, the only way that they can do it is to go 16-0 and in this playoffs. And I think they're determined, and I think that they're going to – that's what they're pushing for. So part of me thinks that that they're gunning for that 16-0. I mean, obviously, who wouldn't? But they're extra focused to pull it off. But in reality, the conservative in me says uh, Warriors win in six. I, I think LeBron and Kyrie have been just way too good. Um, you know, despite despite Steph and Durant having their you know their moments in the playoffs so far, I don't think that the Warriors have had that third star on the offensive end. I think Draymond has been great, but I don't think he's been able to bring that explosion that that can that could match a good Kevin Love game. So, you know, like a like that's a standard Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And and the way by the way he's been playing, I I I feel like the Warriors would still drop two games just on poor shooting alone from Clay and Iggy. What do you think? That's- that's the crazy part is that, you know, if Clay just makes his shots and puts up 22 to 24 a game, like, this is, especially in the first three games of the series, the the sweep is not off the table. Like, you, you go up 3-0 on these guys and all bets are off, like in a game four. Like, these guys, are, we're going to come in super focused. Like, we already basically have them down even worse than last year. You know, so I just think if, if if Clay can get hot the first three games, then this is this is gonna be a short series, man. Yeah. Well, he has to get hot. 
exactly. So, but the thing is, is you know, the the you know retrieval back to the mean would mean that, you know, I mean, everyone had even Clay. He has stretches like this. It's not the first time he's had stretches like this. Early in the year, he had a stretch where he was shooting really poorly, and right. then he came back, and um, it's going to come back because. You know, Clay is you know one of the great shooters, so it's he's gonna find a stroke again. But it's a matter of is it going to be? Can he get into a rhythm early in game one? Because if he can, hopefully that carries over into the rest of the series. And you get if we can break him out of a slump in, in game one, that might be a short series, man. Yeah. Well, here's to hope and do it. So what's your what's your final prediction? Uh, I was also leaning towards GSW and six, but. The more I look at it, I mean, I just I think we're gonna win in five, and I think it'll be GSW in five. And bonus pick is KD for MVP, Finals MVP. Even though I want Steph to win, but I think KD's gonna win. Yeah, I agree. I don't think anybody's stopping Kevin Durant this series. So, all right. Well, James, it was a pleasure talking to you. I look forward to checking in with you next week on the next Warrior Wang Bang Wednesday. And hopefully next time we talk, the Warriors are up 2-0. Yeah. Oh, man. Can't I believe it's wishing. All right, man. Take care, and thanks to all the listeners out there. Go Dubs. Go Dubs.